A lifetime of training, practice, study, hard work. Through discipline, some achieve excellence, mastery, fulfillment, self-actualization. What can we learn from their beginnings, discoveries, motivations, and falls? How do they dust themselves off and resume their journey? During these interviews, stories, and conversations, we reveal their intrinsic drive. The Deep South was a dangerous and treacherous place for a young black man in the 1960s. Benny Vaughn drank from colored water fountains, peddled away from vicious dogs while passing through white neighborhoods, and rode in the back of buses. Benny turned hardships into opportunity through his actions. As the first black athlete to win the Georgia State High School Cross Country Championships, during the spring of his senior year, he won the 440, 880, mile, and mile relay, leading Baker High to its first ever state track and field championship by a two-point margin. One of the most highly recruited athletes in the country, he accepted a full scholarship from the University of Florida, one of five African-American athletes picked as ambassadors for racial equality in a slowly desegregating southern landscape. For over 46 years, Benny has been internationally recognized as the father of sports massage therapy, supporting athletes at five Olympic Games, as medical liaison and manager of athlete services for the Atlanta Centennial Olympic Games, he incorporated massage therapy in the medical provisions for the athletes. This iconoclastic trailblazer prepared his whole life to break stereotypes, oppression, and prejudice. Through the mastery of his craft and the harnessing of his healing energy, sharing his tactile intelligence, knowledge, education, and experience at his state-of-the-art Benny Vaughn Athletic Training Center. Benny continues to mentor athletes and massage therapists through his Benny Vaughn Life Coaching Programs. Benny is the recipient of the American Massage Therapy Association Merit Award, the One Lifetime Concept Achievement Award, the Award of Excellence from the National Athletic Trainers Association, and an inductee into the UF Health and Human Performance Alumni Hall of Fame. In 2020, he gave the commencement speech at his alma mater to graduates of the University of Florida College of Health and Human Performance. It is such a joy honor and privilege to welcome my friend Benny to this episode of Intrinsic Drive. Benny, take us to the genesis. Take us to the beginning of your journey. Was it sitting on the back of the bus with your mom in Columbus, Georgia at seven years old or traveling to Germany uh, with your family on the military base that opened your eyes? What was the inciting moment for you at the beginning? Yeah, thanks, Phil. So uh, before I begin, I want to add one more Olympic Games. That's five Olympic Games. Five now. Olympics. I'm so sorry. I was in yeah. Tokyo. That's right. This past summer. So that's that's number five that I have been uh, privileged to be part of the sports medicine team, that's right. helping USA athletes and specifically my great interest in track and field athletes for USA track and field. And that's been my passion for 46 years. That's what I do. Yes. Uh, I'm coming to you right now from my athletic therapy center in Fort Worth, Texas, USA, uh, where I've already seen uh, three clients this morning before coming online with you. And uh, when we finish this interview, uh, my next client is a 400-meter uh, Olympian who was in Tokyo, who I worked with there, and he'll be coming in for a session with me. So I still do this. I yes. still do this because yes. uh, I love it. And what's important for everyone out there is when you are faced with facts, conditions, and circumstances in your life, press pause. And ask yourself, what would I love? And that will guide your decision-making on what you should do, what action you should take. Ask yourself the question, what would I love? Well, I would love to train three days a week. I would love to race in this meet. I would love to 
get an associate's degree in kinesiology. So always ask yourself that question. When faced with facts, conditions, and circumstances, and notice what you're noticing. Notice how you feel when you answer the question, because your intuition will never let you down. And, and that's what you did, Phil, is your intuition did not let you down. And in a roundabout manner, that was a position that I put you in as a high schooler yep. was to ask yourself the question, what would I love? And what you would love at that time is that you wanted to run on the track and field team at the University of Florida. Absolutely. That's what you would love. And that energy is what drove your action to make that dream become. And so you ran for the Gators. And that so, information yeah. came in forms that, that came from the heart, from you directing me towards that heart. And then there was a series of, you know, all these things came into alignment. All the doctrines that you passed on to me <clears throat> were just a part of that essential experience, which you uh, directed me forward into. Yeah, exactly. So where did all this begin for me? Yes. The advantage that I have had, and I call it an advantage. There are some who say, well, it's a disadvantage. Right. And here's what I mean. The advantage of being a young black man in America in the 50s, the 60s, the 70s, the 80s, and on but especially in the 50s and 60s yes. and the early 70s. Being a young black man in America was treacherous. It was dangerous. And up until now, I realize now that this was a great advantage for me for what I do now. Yes. And, and what I mean by that is I, I was given the opportunity to test my dreams and to test my patience, yeah. my persistence, my imagination, my perseverance. Because when you are stopped in Columbus, Georgia, in 1964, for no other reason than white male officers could do it yeah, to young black men, yeah. you become very good at having patience yeah. and strength and understanding the power of your words. And so that really prepared me. So uh, I am happy and grateful now for all those white police officers who stopped me in Columbus, Georgia, for all those white Americans who called me names at the high school that I went to because it was the first year of desegregation. Remember, okay. President Johnson signed the Civil Rights Act in 1964. 64. That was my freshman year in high school. Okay. That was my first year in high school. Wow. I was in the ninth grade and I was bused to the previously all white high school, Baker high school to meet the desegregation policies that the federal government had proclaimed to all the States. Now, not all the States paid attention to that. Right. Right. Not all the States paid attention to it. And some just flat out said, well, we're not going to do this, right. you know, segregation now, segregation, then segregation forever. Right. Paraphrasing Governor George C. Wallace of the state of Alabama, Alabama, right? who stood in the doorway of the registrar's office to block the entry of a black American young person who simply wanted to get an education. That's right. 
That's right. just wanted to get an education. So these things that I went through really gave me more strength than I knew at that time, that it was simply preparing me for what I was to do later in life. And that was to inspire young people like you. That was to lead young people like you. And that was to show compassion, love, and understanding to all people, because it is so much more powerful than anger. And when I think about the, the Buddhist monk Thich Nhat Hanh, who passed away several weeks ago, transitioned several weeks ago, and I remember listening to him talking about anger and how anger is a necessary part of growing a lotus. That anger is like the analogy he made is that anger is like mud. You know, mud is part of the earth. You need mud. You need anger in order for the lotus to grow. So the lotus can grow in a muddy, watery field. As a catalyst for that growth. As a catalyst for that growth. So anger is a way to grow when it is directed and understood appropriately and not let it consume you. So I never let anger consume me because remember we live in a thought universe yes everything around us begins as a thought begins as an idea everything around us we everything that we we shape and form from nature begins as a thought hmm, i think i'm going to build a rocking chair so you have a thought yeah. and then you take forms of nature and you yeah. reform it. And you take wood and you reform it. Comes the sketch and then the sketch has dimensions. And, yes, and exactly. Then and then there's craft and all these things that come from that thought, but the thought, yeah, that's the Genesis. That's the beginning. Exactly. Exactly. And so that's what uh, I do yeah. is I support people in their thought process because you have thoughts and that creates feelings. And those feelings drive the actions that you take and the actions equal the results that you gain. And that's what I do. And, and that's the principles that I have used in my massage and body work. It's the principles that I used in being a competitive athlete. Yes. And these are the principles that I utilize. When I have the athlete on the massage table yeah. at the Olympic Games, at the Olympic trials, at the world championships, is I help that athlete to calibrate their energy to amplify their dream. Yes. What would they love? I would love to be on the podium. Yeah. However, we don't let facts, conditions, and circumstances dictate the feelings, because what I always remind an athlete is that you had your personal best performance. No matter whether you're on the podium or not, that's right. you had your personal best. And that's the measure that I impart to athletes. Yes. Not to compare yourself to this athlete or that athlete or this and that, but compare yourself to yourself yeah. to keep yourself inspired for your personal best. And, and that's what I believe really magnifies performance and especially in track and field. And it clears the space. I mean, Benny, don't you know, you see these people that it's, it's the classic Zen paradigm, right? The archer sets up the archer, aims for the target in the Zen and the art of archery. The archer always hits the target. Now the archer sets up and starts thinking about the gold, the gold medal or the prize. The archer, it does no longer is focused on the target. And so it's all these externals, the, the, the money, the fame, the things that are fleeting. 
the you know credibility, all these things. But it's that internal love, that sandbox, that beautiful child that was running free, even against oppression, even when they said you cannot compete, you can't drink out of the same water fountain, you can't sit and have lunch at the luncheonette. But mama, there's a better way, as you said to your mom when her feet hurt. And you said, look, there's an open seat in the front. Let's go and see. Let's investigate. Let's stand up. Let's channel that anger into positive action, as Dr. King would say. Yeah, absolutely. And those were uh, the moments that really switched for me. So there were several moments that made a difference for me. So let me go to uh, 1959. 1959, I take my very first ride on an airplane. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. And it is to Germany. My father was an army cook. He was stationed in Kralsheim, Germany with the 4th Armored Division. And if you were a uh, married soldier, you could bring your family over for your three-year stint. So he set it up where we could come over. So imagine this. I'm coming from Columbus, Georgia, been living in the segregated South all my life, not being able to drink out of this water fountain, riding at the back of the bus. And we were just conditioned to behave this way. In Columbus, Georgia, I was not allowed to walk through the white neighborhood. And if you dare do it, then be prepared for dogs. Mm -hmm. So as a young boy, one of the things that myself and other young boys would do in our own way of pressing the envelope, we would get on our bicycles and most of our bicycles were sort of homemade from parts yeah. like we didn't go to, we didn't go to like a yeah. bike store right. like you'd you'd find a frame and then you'd right. find a tire and, and right. you you got to be a pretty good bike mechanic that's great and yeah. so you would kind of put together your bike so one of the fun things that we would do as a dare and and i think this is what young people do you know girls and boys yeah. is that we would get on our bikes and we would ride through the white neighborhood (laughs) that we weren't supposed to. That's great. And then they would send their dogs after us off the porches. And so the deal is that you get up as much speed as you could. And then you put your feet up on the handlebars while the dogs are nipping at you and everything. (laughs) That's good training though. Okay. We're, we're young kids. We thought, Hey man, this is kind of fun. But at the same time, I think intuitively, we were just sending a message that this is not right. That's right. This is not right. That's right. So we're going to ride our bike through your neighborhood anyway. Yeah, it's a positive. This is just not right. A we're kids. Act of defiance. It's a po- It's a positive. Yeah. And so, yeah. so I just remember, I would always say, man, I hope I get up enough speed that I can yeah. coast on out of this neighborhood. Because, <laughs> because, I, because I, the dogs knew where the borderline was. Hmm. And it's so funny, Phil. The dogs would stop at the border no way, really? of the block. Just like that stuff. It's almost like they know, okay, well, they're back in the black neighborhood now. We'll right. go back to the porch. Almost like an invisible fence that wasn't. Yeah, open. it's like it's so funny. <laughs> that's amazing. But anyway. Segregated dogs. That's bizarre. Yeah. It, it was just kind of <laughs> hilarious. Okay. So we go to Germany mm-hmm. and in a 24-hour period, This young black boy goes through culture shock because I am now told by my mother, once we arrive, that we are going to live in an apartment building with white people. Okay. Very different. And that it's okay. Yeah. I was just like, my eyes got as big as saucers, like, we're going to do what we're going to like live in a building that white people live in. And then I thought, wow, where am I? I didn't even know where Germany was on a, on a map. Been on the moon. I mean, it's totally different. And I'm like, what? 
Then my mother says to us, she sits all us kids down. She says, okay, this was on a Thursday. And she says, okay, on Monday, y'all are going to start school and you're going to go to school with white kids. You're going to have white teachers and you're going to be able to be in the same classroom and it's okay. I was just like, oh my goodness, where am I? And and of all places for me to have this experience in post-World War II Germany. I mean, how, I, I mean, like, what does that even mean? Right. So, so my experiences, and that's when I uh, got involved in sport. Okay, right. Was in Germany. So I have a photograph of my Army Youth Association baseball league that I played on. That's great. And I was the only black kid. I'd like to see that one. Yeah. I have a photo of my first massage therapy business and school that I opened in Gainesville, Florida. I have a group photo of all the students and the staff and this and that. This is 1976. Wow. I'm the only black person in the photo. I go to my first um, American Massage Therapy Association conference in Orlando, Florida. Mm -hmm. In Orlando. There are only three black massage therapists there, and one was from Canada. So I'm not sure if I even right. get to count them. <laughs> you know, they were from Canada. Right. You know, they were a little more progressive. Right, a little more open. Yeah. And, and that was it. Wow. And then I joined the track mm-hmm. team at my previously all-white high school, and I'm the only black kid. To the point that when we travel to track meets, Phil, and keep in mind, this was 1964. So the Civil Rights Act has just been passed. My coach would have to Sam Roberts. He would call ahead to the motel in Tennessee or South Carolina or even parts of Georgia where we were going for a track meet that required an overnight stay. So we travel on Friday, stay at the motel Friday night, compete on Saturday, and then we drive back Saturday night. He would have to call to be sure that the one black kid on the track team could stay with the rest of the team, which was all white at the motel. And he would always reassure me on Thursday before Friday travel day that he had called the motel and had gotten permission. And it was okay for the colored boy to stay with the rest of his teammates. But again, I look back on that field. This was preparing me to face anything. And and I still had those challenges, you know, people calling you names and this and that. And and, uh, I just spoke through action. I would just win on the track. (laughs) I would just win on the track up to the point where my senior year, in high school, I won the state cross country championship in uh, December of 1968. I come back for the uh, outdoor championship at, at Terra Stadium, south of Atlanta. I get the most valuable athlete award. I win uh, uh, four events, and I am uh, part of the team title that we won by two points over the favorite team from Savannah, Georgia. And uh, I signed with the Gators to be an athlete there. You were highly recruited. I mean, you were highly recruited. I I was recruited by every SEC school. Every SEC school offered me a full scholarship. I still still have the letters from – I have a very famous letter from uh, Forest Towns, oh. uh, who was the University of Georgia coach. In fact, the track okay. is, is named after Coach yeah, Towns. I recognize that from the track. So Coach Towns was the Olympic gold medalist in the 
high hurdles in 1936 Olympics in Berlin. He was a teammate of Jesse Owens. That's amazing. Okay. Okay. And Coach Towns, uh, who the track is named after at the University of Georgia, I still have the handwritten letter that he wrote me on University of Georgia stationery, offering me a full scholarship to the University of Georgia anytime that I wanted. Just call. I kept that letter because I knew he was the Olympic gold medalist yes. and had been a teammate of Jesse Owens. In 1936, Berlin, Germany, and Nazi Germany. Yeah, I just thought that was pretty cool. I still have that letter. It's inspiration. And had I decided to go to Georgia, I would have been their first black athlete. Just long before the Herschel Walkers and and uh, all these other great African American athletes who ended up there. So, so I was recruited by every SEC school, and I chose Florida. Because on my recruiting trip, I felt more inclusion. I felt more diversity on campus at that time. I felt more equality for opportunity than I felt at some of the other, uh, up until now, SEC schools that I visited. They were all trying to make an inroad. And in 1969, University of Florida had five black athletes. University of Alabama had one. Mm. University of Georgia had none. University of Mississippi had none. Mississippi State had none. So this was the very beginning of integration of SEC sports. And I uh, just feel uh, really uh, grateful that I had an opportunity to be part of setting the pace for inclusion, diversity, and equality that has really expanded the playing field for all athletes now in 2022. And they were looking for that model, I think, as well. Almost like it reminds me of Jackie Robinson's manager who really went out there and took that chance. And there was a reason. There was other ballplayers in the Negro Leagues that were very good, but there was this character. That's what always struck me about you is that calmness, that that way that you could take us, you know, when we're in the SEC and, and you said, look, trust your training. Phil, you guys have been there. You guys have pushed yourself, even when we're ranked eighth and we go there to, to win the SEC championship because you you have that transference of belief because they picked you for this, the ability to have all these things happen and you be the calm in the storm because, just because of the experiences of your life. I think we've gone to the ascent, Benny. We've, you know, you're rising in your craft as a high schooler now coming into college at University of Florida, where you're, you know, you were young when you came in. We're 17 as a senior. And then um, what about the discovery? What were you learning through experiences and events? And what new things came to light? Who were your mentors, coaches, and teachers? And what was revealed? Well, I'll tell you what was revealed. So uh, on my wall, uh, I have uh, all of my mentors. Uh, The first one is my father. And then I have a photograph of coach Sam T. Roberts, my high school track coach. Then below that, I have uh, a photograph of coach Jimmy Carnes, who was the head coach for track and field, who actually signed me to come to Florida. And then uh, coach Roy Benson was my specialty coach. And then the third photograph is my uh, massage therapy teacher and mentor, Mr. Bruce Simer. And the reason I have those photographs on the wall is to remind me of what these individuals shared and gave me. One of the things that I always remember Coach Karn saying is that enthusiasm creates energy. Enthusiasm creates energy. No matter the facts, conditions, and circumstances, enthusiasm creates energy. And that was one of the big things that I learned, excuse me, is that enthusiasm creates the energy. What I learned from my a high school coach and my father 
is that uh, victory rewards the non-quitter. You know, stay the course, perseverance, commitment. And then my massage teacher uh, really demonstrated to me that in order to move forward, you must take action. Mm -hmm. You must make a decision. And it, it's not, it doesn't really matter what the decision is. The act of actually making a decision carries power. Make a decision. Moment. Yes or no. Yep. Left or right. But make a decision. Yeah. Don't be concerned about if it's the right decision or the wrong decision. Suspend the need to know how and focus on the what. And so... Uh, those were some of the things that that I learned from uh, my coaches and my teachers that have played out uh, in my life. And I now recognize, acknowledge, and am grateful for all the up until now, what I thought were hardships, right. what I thought were roadblocks, were simply validation that I was headed in a good direction. It's the adversity advantage. You, you were able to exactly, that exactly put you so, in that position and man, you are a whole, it, it just, and what were the drives, Benny? What urged you forward? What was some of the external and internal forces and motivations during this time in your life? Yeah. The, the uh, external forces is that I wanted and uh, am it giving to others, because this was something that my, my father did a lot of. And when I was a young boy, I didn't understand why up until now, I thought he was always giving away mm. our stuff to other people. Wow. And I always wondered like, why? But, but I got that from him. And so the external is to uh, measure my financial gain by my giving. And so uh, my wife and I have a variety of uh, missions that we give to, uh, including some uh, academic opportunities at the University of Florida that we fund uh, because that's what I want to do. That's what we want to do. So that's been the external drive. So the, the measure of financial gain is really a way that allows you to really do what you would love to do for society, for communities, for other people. Yes. And then the internal drive is that for the human species, for humans to continue to flourish, it is important that we have moments of inspiration from other humans yeah. that accept us for whomever we are, including those who may produce anger for you. So for me, when I have uh, a person who just believes that they have to call me names or use derogatory uh, comments about African-American people. I actually press pause and I think to myself, what life experiences have they had that's produced this and to have compassion for that. And what I always tell myself, Phil, when I, have a situation like this, I always say to myself, first, I press pause and I take a few breaths. I don't react because I want to respond. And I take a few breaths and then I say to myself, I don't know their full story. I don't know their full story. I don't know their story in life that has produced this ugly use of words or even physical violence. Like, I don't know. And they're internally really hurting, you know, normal. Yeah. And, and so I just keep that in mind and uh, I use 
silence as a position of power. So if someone's yelling ugliness to me and they are provoking feelings of anger in me, and those feelings of anger are coming from previous life experiences, I just remain silent. I just remain silent. And the power of silence and actually looking someone in their eyes, because the eyes lead to the soul. And we can communicate intuitively through our eyes. That's right. That's right. And I just communicate with that ugliness in that fashion. And the response is is amazing because suddenly they realize a learning moment for them that the weakness that they would love to dispense with to dispense with has been exposed. And so I just remain silent. And if I have to say something, what I say to them, Phil, is tell me more. Well, you know, you people of blah, 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 blah. Silence. Look into their eyes. Tell me more. And for those who want to come up with a way to disarm violence and anger, silence. Silence is powerful. Because we live in a thought universe. And you can communicate with other people through thought. I mean, we use all kinds of terms, you know, they're psychic, they're intuitive. We all have that. Gandhi said, God speaks to all of us. The willingness to listen is the key. The willingness. So we we all have the capacity. We all have the capability. We're born with it. And so I just utilize it. And um, you know, I I I read and study, you know, the metaphysics of, of life and uh you know the principles that guide that every day. I read something, I study something, I I put into my mind guidance that continues to expand my progress of being with other human beings. I think that's right because it's, you know, as they say, energy is perfect, but it's just about us stepping into that frequency. So if someone's on a lower frequency and here into a hate or, uh, you know, not understanding uh, that we're all equal as humans, regardless of the color of skin or socioeconomic. And then you're vibrating on this frequency. Of course, they're not going to be able to be in the room with you or the space. But now that silence sort of brings them up into that frequency where they get a glimpse. Maybe they get a glimpse of that peace, of that serenity, of that different reverence. And I, I love that. It's very beautiful. It's, uh, it's the ultimate weapon. Uh, you know, as we all need swords in life, uh, you know, in the war against this, this type of behavior. What about the fall, Benny? Take me to the lowest moment in your career or life overall. Was there a major inciting moment or event for you? Oh, yeah. <laughs> there, there's, there's been several. There hadn't just been one. There's been many. Yeah. And, uh, and in life as a human, as a luminous light being, having a human experience, uh, I suspect there will be others to come. And I begin first by saying that uh, those were in the awareness of fact, conditions, and circumstances, those were low moments. Yes. Uh, in the world of uh, awareness of infinite energy, it was me 
growing. So when I was uncomfortable, when I was distressed, when I found myself in uh, disharmony with contractive thinking, uh, up until now, I thought those were not good things. I thought those were failures. You tried to repress, now, repress that. Yes. Okay, for a while before you had the strategies of awakening. It, right, exactly. So now I recognize that those were moments of growth and that moving forward, this is what it looks like. This is what it looks like. Yes. You will have these uh, setbacks or failures, but within all of those setbacks and failures and, and challenges, there is a nugget of growth that's in there. So one of uh, just one low point early in my career is I was essentially uh, homeless. And what, and what homeless means when you're uh, a, a young male in Gainesville, Florida, is that you're sleeping on a friend's couch yes. yeah. until you figure out what's going on. Yeah. And uh, Tim Purdy, who ran track at Florida, yeah. his uh, parents were uh, professors at the university. And, and I recall that uh, Tim's mother was very upset with him that he was allowing me to sleep on his couch because I didn't have a place to live. And she envisioned me as a quote freeloader and taking advantage of her son and this and that. And, 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 and I, I understood that because she was coming from her life experiences and she was coming from common hour thinking. And, uh, Tim was coming from the standpoint of friendship. I have to help my friend out. And so uh, I, I have a paper bag and, and I'll try to say this without getting too emotional, Phil, but that's how powerful this moment was for me. Not only was I homeless, uh, I didn't have any money and consequently I didn't have any food. And I came back to this little carriage house that someone was letting me stay in for a week until it was behind the old Baird mansion in Gainesville, Florida. Yeah. And uh, it was basically just a little shack. It was, it was rat infested uh, to the point that uh, I borrowed a friend's cat one night and put it in the apartment and the cat jumped through the window and got the heck out of there. Cat couldn't even. The, the, the cat actually <laughs> said, "I ain't hanging out here, man. I'm not doing the job for you." <laughs> because I could, I could hear them at night, like yeah. in the oh. drop ceiling. Yeah. And so I came back to that carriage house one day, and there were two bags of groceries that were sitting at the front, and on there, on the paper bag, uh, these three women that I knew had typed a message that uh, because we know you're going to do something great in life one day, we small elves bring you sustenance and encouragement to keep going. I cut that off of that paper bag. I still have that. You still have that note. I still have that note to remind me of no matter how bad you think times can be, keep taking action, keep believing, and keep trusting your dream of what you would love. And what I would love is that I loved doing massage. Yeah, yeah. I, I love being a massage therapist. And, and, and at that particular point in time that was going on, uh, I I. I was a licensed massage therapist. I just didn't have anywhere to work. Yeah. yeah and, and so the health yeah. 
the health club jobs hadn't appeared yet where you were doing the, no in the, in the men's, you know, there was a men's and women's segregation, I guess it was right. Yes, it was. Mm-hmm. And you were, you were doing like Tuesday, Thursday, Saturday, but it was long to 16 hours, 18 hour day. Yeah. And, you know, and that's, you know, th- those, those, that was like initial jobs that yes. started it, as you were honing your craft hours and hours. That, that is correct. And, and yeah, 16 hour day was not unusual for me. Yeah. It's nothing. Yeah. But, passion and you have but I loved it. I, yeah. I loved it. And I got really good Absolutely. because of the hundreds and thousands of repetitions right. of using my hands. Yeah. So that, that was a, a that was a, a defining moment that I clearly have never and never will forget because that's what growing looks like. Yes. Yeah. That's what it looks like. It's not all rose petals and you know bubble bass and all those things that are often you no 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 and so what what's happened now is that the work that i have put in you know in private behind the scenes the study yes the practice i'm being rewarded publicly now for it yes yeah so yeah it's uh an overnight, and so, yeah. an overnight sensation in 46 years of practice. <laughs> <laughs> that, that's right. It, 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 exactly. Exactly. And, and so what I learned from all of that, Phil, is that uh, I was I was already successful. Just my level of awareness had not matched it yet. And that was your pivot, that, that thought that frequency that bubbled up in you that maybe it was precipitated by those three amazing women that sort of saw the light within you're going to do something great. And then you said, okay, okay. I believe, I believe. And then then that's the cascade. That's the domino effect of momentum. And it, gosh, Benny, if there was a rollback, if you had the opportunity, what would you redo or do differently in your life or career? There isn't anything I would do differently because because now I recognize that all those moments were preparing me for now. For this very moment now. Was preparing me for, for the, now. For the three athletes on your table just now, for the athlete in a moment that you're going to go back to the 400 meter runner that you were with in Tokyo 2020. And on the anvil, Benny, take us to an event or decision that forged you a, a, a defining moment that shaped your destiny on the anvil. Uh, I, I would say uh, it was being given the book, think and grow rich Napoleon Hill by Napoleon Hill, Joe Cerulli Gainesville oh, really, Joe? health yeah. and fitness center. I remember Joe in 1976 gave me a copy of that book. Wow. He had just read it and yeah. he came to me and he says, Benny, Benny. He says, man, you got to read this book. You got to read this book. That's man. amazing. This thing is, and keep in mind when Joe gave that book to me, Joe was living in his car. Wow. Wow. He was just beginning his career also. And we were both at the international health spa and beauty resort on 23rd Avenue in Gainesville, Florida. He was the floor manager for the exercise area. Okay. And I was doing massage there. And this was before he acquired the Gainesville uh, uh, Executive Health Club and they changed the name to Gainesville Health and Fitness. Health and Fitness. When I met you, it was Gainesville. Yeah, it was Gainesville Health and Fitness. Gainesville Health and Fitness. Yeah. And so Joseph really grew that, but he gave me that book. Wow. And he kept saying, you got to read this, man. You got to read this book. And finally, to prevent the number of times each week and each day, he would ask me, have you read the book? I read a few chapters so that I could truthfully say to him the next time he asked me, Vaughn, have you read this book? I can say, yes, I've I've begun reading it. But I read it and I started thinking like, wow, like I read the chapter on imagination. I was like, wow, because I had all these ideas of how I could build this massage business. And and then I realized like, wow, this is like, this energy is real. 
So that that was a that was a moment. So I I always like to you know give a shout out to Joe Cerulli for, I mean you know he may or may not know that was the beginning point, but when he gave me that book, Think and Grow Rich. So. Uh, well, it's so amazing because people are rediscovering that now. And you you hear on the Internet, oh, I'm in this mastermind or that mastermind. Well, you and Joe had the first mastermind for yourselves in 1978, both as kindred spirits looking to elevate yourself and and using this book that was originally published, I think, in 1932. I mean, the, yeah, it, it was it was 19 unabridged version 30 or 32 30, yeah 30 32 so coming out of the great depression right this was a really powerful magic that he the framework of consciousness and yes in a very grounded pragmatic way yeah it's it's really a, a book of of metaphysics yes is what it is yeah yeah and then benny on your journey what's most important to you now what does the road ahead look like for you and what's next on my journey now and what's next is inspiring and supporting others to become connected with the harmonizing energy of the infinite forces that shape the universe. And doing that by supporting them celebrating them, mentoring them, because the the model of elders in the village is a model I subscribe to, passing wisdom on to the next generation and the next generation to allow them to expand and grow that. And so what's next for me is transformational life coaching, supporting other individuals, celebrating other individuals, providing them with wisdom that is only gained from experiencing it. You can't can't read wisdom into you. You have to experience. That's right. You can read knowledge and guidance, but you can't read wisdom. And I want to leave a legacy so that when I transition, I have left this wisdom with others who will continue to grow it, continue to expand it, and continue to produce and provide moments of inspiration for others. Because here's what I believe. We human beings are really an energetic form of light. We are luminous light beings having a human experience. So the question that I often ask myself is when a person transitions or people usually say die or passed away, Mm -hmm. what happens to the energy and the spirit that we felt from that person? when they were having the human experience, where does that go? What, what happens to that? Does that energy just die? I don't believe it does because I believe this energy, like the ethos that surrounds the planet is infinite. Yes. It's just part of, part of quantum physics. Uh, Yeah. And so everything is, is vibrating. So where does that energy go? You know, uh, in certain religious traditions, they believe that energy returns in another form. It may return in the form of a cat or a dog or a tree or mm-hmm. something else, that energy. <clears throat> so what I'm excited about, what I'm thrilled about is I'm waiting for the first photographs to come in from the new telescope that's one million miles away, pointing out into the universe away from the sun, I am thrilled to see those photographs that that telescope is going to send back because I think it's cavalier for the human experience 
to believe that we're the only ones and that we are alone is it's impossible. That's right. It's impossible. Yeah. So I'm waiting for those. uh, And and I know that uh, in one article I read, uh, the scientists had consulted with theologians, uh, I, I guess, try to figure out what so how do we present these photographs right if after we screen these photographs we see some things that because they're actually going to be able to go back in time as we know it oh wow okay yeah they'll be able to actually see the beginning and formations of planets because of the light energy that's emitted Oh, the light that's still there refracted from yeah so from the door so yeah, yeah for, so from our model uh, it, we the best way we can describe is that we're going back into time. Interesting, yeah. So I I'm looking forward to that uh, because that's, that's right in Texas, isn't it? Isn't the Hubble? Uh, uh, yeah, they they Hubble. they launched it from Texas. Yeah, did they? Okay, that's amazing. Yeah, so that's going to be pretty cool. That is really neat. <laughs> so I I just think that uh, going forward, uh, it, it is it is my intention to support people celebrate people, guide people through their own transformation, through their own transformation of awareness of what they would love. That's what I'm looking forward to. And that's something you've always done. And when the student is ready, the teacher appears. And that's always something that you've lived by and and that I've uh, taken on through you. And in the short time, the 33 years that I've been doing this work, it's uh, been a magic ride every day to live the passion and, and to, to help people to be of service. Benny, in the slipstream, any parting gems of advice you'd like to leave for us today? Uh, yeah, so the, the, the gem of advice that I'd like to leave, Phil, is this. The absence of evidence is not evidence of absence. (laughs) So I live with a scientist who is now a great professional photographer. Oh my gosh. She's got into photography. Yes. She, she is a, uh, yeah. My wife, Dr. Joan Carroll. Yes. PhD in medical physiology and exercise science is a professional photographer now. That's amazing. And she travels the world literally doing uh, landscapes and wildlife photography. And uh, many times we would have discussions and often her fallback point was, well, where's your evidence? Mm. Where's the research? And I think so much of humankind has relied on this faulty model that drives our medical system, our healthcare system, and so many parts of our system. And that's not to say that it hasn't revealed important and useful information. Yeah, and merit. Yeah, Yeah. But to use that only in exclusion of faith, belief, and intuition, I believe does not bring balance to the process of discovery. So what I leave is that the absence of evidence is not evidence of absence, that something exists, that something can happen, that something can occur because that allows us to believe in our intuition that allows us to create thoughts and ideas through our imagination because we're not required to have evidence that it's possible. And a great example of that 30 years ago, every automobile manufacturer said, 
an electric car is impossible. The battery would have to be the size of a house. It could only go about 50 miles. And there's no way we can build this. We don't know how to do it. We can't do it. Blah, 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 blah. What they should have said is that uh, we don't have the will and we don't have the imagination. And, okay? we can't, and we can't monetize it properly. And we can't monetize it properly. <laughs> so people who decided, well, I'm thinking way out of the, bu- the box. Oh, yeah. Elon Musk is way, way, way out of the box with his thinking. Right. And he's not doing anything extraordinary except listening to his thinking, his intuition, and using his imagination. I mean, he doesn't have a PhD in engineering from MIT or physics or anything else, as far as I know. But he knows how to go find those people that do. Okay, that's the quality of a genius right there. Thomas Edison did it. Henry Ford did it. When they were trying to build a V8 engine, the engineers at Ford said, it's impossible. You can't put eight cylinders in a single blade. It's impossible. And Henry Ford just simply kept telling the engineers, find a way, find a way, because he imagined that it could be done. So that's what I leave with. The absence of evidence is not evidence of absence. And, and so much of Because what that does is that that is respectful of our intuition. It's respectful of our intuition. And in my world of sports therapy, there's been this huge movement the last decade of, quote, evidence-based therapy. Oh, okay. Evidence-based therapy. We're only going to do things that a graduate student has studied and there's evidence that it works or doesn't work. And so if you use that model, you're just going to be stuck with doing ice and stem on everybody forever and getting little or no results. That's That's just my, that's that's pretty limited. I mean, that's pretty, that's pretty limited. And that's, Pretty much what's going on in a lot of places. <laughs> that, cuts, that, that cuts off our hands to do the things that we're tuned to do from the higher frequency from years and years, as Malcolm Gladwell said, the 10,000 hour rule way beyond that. I mean, you got decades yeah. and decades and decades. And so you go to the room, your hands are just going and, and, and you're getting thought uh, frequencies coming in and saying C2 is out. Uh, L5 is out. Okay. This person's misaligned. The, okay. The disc is subluxated. Boom. We go in here. We do, we use this, we use that tool. Then we've got to strengthen this part. We got to rebuild that. I mean, it's, you know, this is the years and you can just watch them a walking gait pattern, see them, see the posture, see all the dysfunction, the, the forward neck, the, the anterior tilt and the pelvis, the fallen arch, all these things that lead. And so you're saying, okay, just because someone hasn't chosen to study it because the study is driven by commerce or by big business or corporate corporations, like when we first were doing, bringing our work out and we said, you know, look, look at the money it takes to fund this. So, you know, you're not moving forward on this, but okay, it doesn't work. Look at the thousands and thousands of testimonials and people that now have Olympic medals because you and I and my dad and people like us that we've trained are out there doing the do. <laughs> so it's like, I think that's, that's what, you know, one thing that uh, coach V Hill told me once, you know, it was amazing. And he came to Gainesville once to, you know, the great, you know, uh, you know, exercise physiologist and coach. It was, it was in Alamosa for years. And he said in his great voice, I love it. Feel. He said, by the time we figure out how good altitude is, you and I will be dead and all the medals will be won. So come to Alamosa and learn to train. Come with my freshmen, learn to train, learn the way. You know, and that's what happened to me when I went to Kenya, when I was invited by Dr. Rosa. Why a broken down runner from University of Florida that you that, that you helped bring, bring together and learn these thoughts out there running with the Kenyans and ran 223 three times and should have run 230 if he listened to those negative thoughts or not even been not even been running because of the back fusion or the Harrington rod surgery that they wanted to do, which I resisted because of the internal love of that. So, Benny, I just can't thank you enough for being you. 
Uh, I can't wait to, for us to be together in person. And I'm so grateful for this time you've given and coming on Intrinsic Drive. You are a joy, a pleasure, and a privilege and, and a light in the world. So thank you. Yeah, thank, thank you, Phil. And uh, I, I'm just uh, thrilled to have been here. And uh, I loved your story about Coach V. Hill. I'll give you my 15-second story. So Coach V. Hill and I roomed together in San Diego before our flight to Beijing in oh. 2008. And then I would go out with him each day uh, to be his uh, support medical uh, when he would take the distance runners out for their training sessions, which we did at a horse park near our training site in Dalian, Dalian. uh, China. Yeah. 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 So so I had a lot of interesting conversations with Coach V. Hill on exactly what you just described. So (laughs) thank you for, uh, you know, acknowledging Coach V. Hill. Oh yeah, amazing, amazing, and 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 please for for those that would like to connect with Benny on on all the different just there's a just such a mirror of what he does. He he has developed a state of the art training center. It is a three point two million dollar center that has just the wish list, the everything there. You know everything under one roof. And you don't have to be a top bronc rider as he takes care of everybody in the circuit or a track and field star or a professional uh, professional athlete, MLB or NFL. He's looking at people that have, have been through musculoskeletal pain, want to get a proper diagnosis, want to get a moving away forward, uh, but also more importantly, uh, to learn about their lives, learn about their next process, their mission. And that's where the Benny Vaughn life coaching comes in. So there's the, there's the life coaching, but then there's also the Benny Vaughn, Vaughn Athletic Center. And those are both there. We're going to have all that in the liner notes here of the transcript of the episode of Benny's episodes. It's all there. So you can go and click on there. Uh, just can't recommend it enough for you to connect with Benny personally. As I have, it'll change your life. Uh, and then you'll keep giving to others and receive to share. Benny, thanks for coming to Intrinsic Drive. You are Intrinsic Drive, my friend. Thank you, Phil. It was a thrill. Thanks for being with us. We appreciate you opting in, subscribing, and reviewing us for thumbing us up and following us on socials, liking us. We like you. Drop us a note. Tell us what stories move you. For books, videos, resources, and more information, visit us at whartonhealth.com forward slash shop Wharton Health. And be sure to join us for the next episode of Intrinsic Drive.